Welcome to Long Story Short, sponsored by the Kirkpatrick Foundation. I'm Ted Struley, the Executive Director at Oklahoma Watch. We're a statewide nonprofit news organization that specializes in investigative reporting. You're listening to our weekly podcast, which lets you hear directly from our journalists as they provide deeper insight into their recently published stories. I'm with Keaton Ross, who covers democracy for Oklahoma Watch. He's been looking into a bill that uh, initiative petition organizers say would make it even more difficult for Oklahomans to get a question on the ballot. Keaton, who's the bill's author and what does the measure propose? It's Senator Julie Daniels from Bartlesville, and it proposes several new requirements for state questions, including doubling the protest period from 10 to 20 days. It would... uh, up the filing fee for initiative petitions to $750. And it would also uh, increase the amount of data points that uh, are required to be, are required to be matched from a signature sheet to uh, a person's voter registration profile. Um, So several new hurdles. And uh, why has Senator Daniels uh, given any indication why she thinks those measures are necessary? It's already already pretty tough to get something on the ballot. Yeah, she said in a committee meeting a few weeks ago that the current process is not uh, too fraught with fraud or anything, but she just wants to increase confidence that everyone signing the petition is who they say they are, hence the the heightened requirements for matching to a person's uh, voter registration profile. And uh, so what is the bill's status at the moment? Uh, It passed the Senate Judiciary Committee in the first week of session uh, about two weeks ago, and it's now eligible to be heard on the full Senate floor. Did she uh, get any questions or backlash during that committee meeting? Yeah, it passed on a party line vote, eight to three, um, and two of the Democratic senators uh, on the committee, uh, Kay Floyd and Mary Bourne, uh, pressed her on on several questions, uh, just asking if if it's really necessary, if it would, uh, you know, decrease confidence from voters, and uh, basically saying that that this isn't really necessary, that the current process uh, does a good enough job of, of verifying. So she got a little bit of pushback there, but but a cleared committee pretty easily. Now, in uh, the last few weeks, you've written about legislative proposals to uh, restrict the initiative petition process, uh, other bills to make it harder for uh, Oklahoma residents to uh, get a measure on the ballot. How does Daniel's bill differ from some of the other measures? Yeah, so we've seen several measures passed, uh, or not, they've been introduced that would do things like require organizers to collect signatures in every county, um, those sorts of things. Those are all written in a way that would require voters to approve them. They, they amend the Constitution. So if they pass the legislature, it would, it would go to a statewide vote. This bill from Julie Daniels is not written in that kind of way. If it passes the legislature and goes to the governor's desk and he signs it, uh, it would just take effect without voters saying, getting a say on it, which uh, raises the alarm level a little bit uh, for some of these uh, initiative petition organizers. Now, you've talked to several of those organizers who have been through this process. What kind of concerns have they expressed about Daniel's bill? 
Uh, one of the main concerns is with that that's changing of the signature, verifying, requiring more data points. Um, you know, it could be as simple as someone whose name, legal name is Joseph and they write their name on a petition as Joey. Um, that could that could throw it more into jeopardy, requiring four out of five data points under Daniel's bill, as opposed to the current three out of six. Um, so those sorts of things would likely push uh, organizers to go out and, and try to get even more signatures. Um, of course, at, right now they're they're already trying to get over that the required threshold in anticipation that some could be thrown out. Um, so if you're putting this new requirement, likely needing to go get even more signatures, um, they told me that would likely benefit the groups that have lots of money to to go out and hire a bunch of signature collectors and and get those people out as opposed to. Uh, you know, your more grassroots efforts that that may not have that that those millions of dollars in funding to to go out and do that. So that's the main concern. There. Yeah, it's it's a pretty high bar. What's the cost to go collect all those signatures? So I went back and looked at all of the the voter led initiatives to, to get a question on the ballot that were successful over the past decade. Uh, I believe there were nine that I found and almost all of them paid paid money to go out and hire people to collect the signatures. And it was an average cost of about $8 per signature is what I found. And of course, if if you're having to get, you know, 117,000 signatures for a constitutional amendment, that can add up pretty quickly. Um, so it's already expensive and there's concerns that it would get even more expensive and challenging under this proposal. And uh, who is responsible for verifying the signatures? So as of last year, there was a change in legislation and the it used to be those signatures used to be verified by the secretaries of state, secretary of state's office. And that's been outsourced to Western Petition Systems uh, that was founded by pollster Bill Shepard. Um, Those forms are uploaded to a computer system and then they're checked by those employees. Um, so there, there has also been some pushback and, and concern about an outsource vendor verifying those signatures as well. And uh, there were some problems with that this fall, weren't there, on the, the first go with, uh, with that system? There were, there were. There were delays in verifying those signatures, uh, especially compared to previous signature verification efforts, and that ultimately caused the the state question 820, which voters will decide here in a couple of weeks on March 7th uh, for recreational marijuana, that delayed it from being on last November's ballot. All right. Well, thanks, Keaton. You can uh, read Keaton's story about Senator Daniel's bill that would uh, make it uh, more difficult for Oklahoma residents to get a question before the voters, uh, along with all his other work on the democracy beat uh, on our website, oklahomawatch.org. While you're there, you can also subscribe to his weekly newsletter, Democracy Watch. Reporter Paul Money's recently sat down with Oklahoma's new attorney general, Gentner Drummond, the Republican who narrowly lost his first bid for that office in 2018 in a primary runoff, uh, but he has had a busy first month in office. Uh, Paul, how did the interview come about? 
Yeah, so we, we were asking uh, the Attorney General to, to sit down with us on the previous story that we, we published uh, earlier this, this month on utility regulations. That, that interview did not get scheduled in time for that publication, uh, but then we still wanted to talk to him on that issue and several other issues that he's looked at uh, that he campaigned on last year as well. And so we finally got uh, a window of time that we talked to him uh, on some of these issues. Now, Drummond's office has taken over some pretty uh, high-profile pending investigations over state spending. Can you give us a, maybe a quick rundown of what he's done in the past month? Yeah. So if you remember, there's been several so-called spending scandals in the past year and a half or two years involving state federal uh, pandemic relief money or other state spending issues, including an investigation into some contracting on uh, barbecue restaurant Swadley's with the tourism department. Uh, the Attorney General has taken that investigation back over, um, and he has also looked into some allegations with Class Wallet on federal education relief funding. Uh, the previous Attorney General had filed a lawsuit against that company. Uh, the current Attorney General said that that lawsuit wasn't valid, and he's looking at what he called other state actors in those investigations. Uh, he's also taken over some uh, investigations from the Oklahoma County DA, who was turned over from David Prater to Vicki Bahana this last election cycle. Now, you have written recently about the huge uh, utility bill increases faced by most of the state's electric and gas customers. How is Drummond approaching that part of his uh, office role? That's right. Yeah, a lot of people don't realize that the attorney general is the only person who is by statute, supposed to protect consumers in rate cases at the corporation commission, so electric utilities, natural gas utilities, all that kind of thing. And so um, it's a huge part of the Attorney General's representation in these cases, uh, building the case for the commissioners to, to decide on. Um, he admitted that he doesn't have a whole lot of background in that. Now, he's a defense attorney in the past, uh, has also been a prosecutor in his early career, uh, but he says he's kind of read up a lot on that side of utility regulation and that he has basically uh, replaced the folks in that office with new people and a fresh set of eyes. Now, uh, do you have any hope that Drummond will be maybe more active on uh, fuel price investigations than his predecessor? We did ask him about that. I mean, if you remember all the security securization cases for these regulated utilities amount to uh, $4 billion, $6 billion with interest included uh, that customers will be paying back over decades for those, those bills. Uh, a lot of people have kind of pointed the blame at the oil and gas companies, possible price gouging during that huge winter storm in February 2021. Um, I get the sense that, that Drummond doesn't really want to reopen any of those investigations. In fact, he said that uh, he will, you know, take cast a critical eye towards utilities, but doesn't want to second guess every single one of their, their fuel purchase decisions. And that probably includes going back and probably not even looking at some of these storm costs that people are, are so upset about now. Uh, voters go to the polls in a couple of weeks to decide state question 820 on recreational marijuana. Uh, that would be for Oklahomans 21 and over. What's Drummond's take on that? So, yeah, he has said publicly that he is personally against it. Um, and, of course, a lot of his campaign last year was on reducing illegal grows in the medical sphere for medical marijuana. Um, so, yeah, he's, he's not in favor of that and believes enforcement is the key on that. Now, the attorney general's office um, uh, has said that they will step up enforcement on illegal marijuana grows. What's his plan for that? Yeah, so he, he basically thinks it's kind of a three-pronged attack. Uh, the Oklahoma Medical Marijuana Authority does kind of a lot of the regulatory licensing part of the businesses and the growers and the patient licenses. Uh, the Office of 
Bureau of Narcotics and Dangerous Thug, Drugs does a lot of the, you know, out in the field kind of enforcement on the legal uh, distribution of fentanyl and other drugs like that, including medical marijuana, illicit grows. Uh, Drummond says that his focus wants to be more on cracking down on exporting the illegal uh, marijuana going out of state. And so he wants to work with those two agencies, but also have his own investigative division, uh, including some possible civil asset forfeiture cases that he will go after the growers of, of illicit marijuana and take their equipment, take their property, take their guns, and uh, basically use those funds to re uh, and do more enforcement on that side of things. All right. Now, the AG's office uh, historically in Oklahoma has been kind of a stepping stone to the governor's office. Uh, Mike Turpin, Drew Edmondson, other former AGs uh, ran for governor after serving in that role. Any predictions for Drummond's plans in 2026? Yeah, of course, he doesn't say publicly anything about that, but you can kind of guess from his active role in the first few months here. And obviously, he's he ran for office first time for attorney general in 2018, lost narrowly in a Republican runoff, um, and then, you know, beat the incumbent uh, appointed attorney general last year in the primary and then faced just a libertarian in general election. Uh, you know, the 2026 race is probably too early to, to handicap it, but we can probably guess with Governor State Turn Limited, uh, Matt Pinnell, Lieutenant Governor, will probably jump in there. Um, maybe we could see Superintendent Ryan Walters, which seems to be moving quickly in his role uh, in terms of shoring up his base. And obviously, Gendron Drummond would probably be a pretty good candidate that, in his mind to, to take over a statewide office like that. So it's at least three that we know of, possibly other, maybe the auditor, current auditor, Cindy Bird uh, on the Republican side, too. But it's too early to tell Democrat, Libertarian, but definitely that he would probably be a, a natural fit for running for that if he wants to. All right. Well, thanks, Paul. You can read Paul's uh, story about his conversation with new Attorney General Gentner Drummond on our website, OklahomaWatch.org. Two women who were detained in the Cleveland County Jail died in December. Two months later, the sheriff and the jail's health care provider are asking for more taxpayer money to expand care for the people incarcerated there. Reporter Whitney Bryan is here to tell us more about that request. Whitney, what are the sheriff and the health care provider asking for? Well, they're asking Cleveland County's Board of Commissioners for about $500,000 per year in public money to increase the number of medical and mental health staff at the jail. The county already has a contract with the health care provider where they pay about $925,000 a year to the health care provider. So this would increase that cost to about $1.4 million. And why are the sheriff and the healthcare providers saying they need that money? What do they get for that? Well, they're saying there's not enough staff to care for the jail's current population. So there are times when there's only one nurse on duty to care for about 500 people who are incarcerated there. So this money would allow them to reduce how often that happens by hiring more staff, adding more medical and mental health hours. Um, It would increase mental health counseling, which they do already offer a few days a week at the jail. And the sheriff tells me that about 70 percent of the people detained in the jail struggle with mental health or addiction. So that's desperately needed. What do we know about the health care provider that's responsible for uh, caring for people in the jail? 
That company is called Turnkey Health Clinics, and it's based in Oklahoma City. It was founded in 2009 by Representative John Eccles, who's the House Majority Leader and is the company's president. Uh, Turnkey provides health care in at least 10 jails in Oklahoma, including Tulsa and Oklahoma counties, uh, which are obviously the largest in the state. And they contract with like 100 jails in about nine states across the nation. Uh, They're also the target of several lawsuits by families of inmates who have died in some of those jails. And this company already contracts with Cleveland County, right? So the proposal the commissioners are considering would provide uh, more taxpayer money to Turnkey, who would be retained as the jail's health care provider. Is that right? That's right. They would uh, they would basically be getting a bump turnkey wood in the money that they're being paid by Cleveland County. Now, the talk of expanding health care at the jail uh, comes after the death of two women who died while waiting for mental health assessments at the facility. Can you tell us more about that? Sure. So Shannon Hanchett, she owned a cookie shop on Main Street in Norman and was arrested during a mental health crisis back in November. She was awaiting a mental health assessment in the Cleveland County Jail, where she had recently been removed from suicide watch, and she was found unconscious in a medical cell on December 8th. Staff and first responders were not able to revive her. And then there's a noble grandmother named uh, Catherine Milano who died a couple of weeks later. She was arrested on a burglary charge and violating a VPO. And she was also awaiting a court-ordered mental health assessment in the jail uh, when she was found unconscious in a cell. And we're still waiting to find out uh, from the medical medical examiner what their causes of death were. And Turnkey Health Clinics was responsible for the medical and mental health care of those women while they were incarcerated? Yes, that's right. And did you speak to anyone at Turnkey? What did they have to say? I did. I spoke with John Eccles, uh, and I also spoke with one of Turnkey's attorneys. They told me that jail health care is generally a litigious business. Uh, lawsuits are uh, predictable and expected in this type of business, and they stand behind the care that they provide. Uh, they wouldn't talk to me about the treatment provided to Shannon Hanchett or to Catherine Milano, uh, but they are telling commissioners that more care is needed at that facility. So they're certainly saying, you know, the current level of care is insufficient. The sheriff also reminded me that, you know, most people booked into the county jail come with pre-existing medical or mental health conditions, sometimes both, and that those folks can refuse care and there's very little that they can do in the jail when that happens. All right. So what happens next? Well, Turnkey is set to talk to commissioners at a meeting this week, but it's unlikely that commissioners will vote on the proposal. Uh, I think they're just kind of hearing from Turnkey about the reasons that they think they need more money and more staff at the jail. I spoke to one of the commissioners recently who said it would likely be a couple of weeks before a vote is held to decide if the expansion is adopted. All right. Well, thanks, Whitney. You can read uh, Whitney's story about the need for more Uh, care at the Cleveland County Jail uh, on our website, oklahomawatch.org. You've been listening to Long Story Short, a weekly podcast that helps you get deeper into the investigative stories reported by Oklahoma Watch, which you can find on the web at oklahomawatch.org. 
This podcast was made possible by a grant from the Kirkpatrick Foundation, for which we're grateful. For Oklahoma Watch, I'm Ted Struley. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.